0: Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message.
1: We're going to be opening the word right now as we continue in worship. And so if you have your own Bible, uh, turn to Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, and we're going to read those. But if you need one, like I said, go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, But I'll get started in reading. And it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And today we're going to be taking a closer look at the belt of truth. But what is it that Paul has in mind? What is this belt? Because it's not just meant to evoke an image of an accessory. Like I put on brown shoes this morning and so I had to go put on my brown belt. That's not at all what Paul had in mind. It wasn't just a fashion piece. It was a utility piece. And so when the the legionary would have put on his belt, it would have been the first thing he put on because it was absolutely foundational to everything else that he had to do. It would have hooked into his breastplate. It would, have hooked in, it would have had extra armor that would have come over the, the legs to protect his legs. It would have had spots for uh, a quiver if he happened to have a, a bow. And it would have had a spot for his sword to go into. And it would have had all sorts of hooks with which he could have put rope. And it was absolutely this thing that was functional. Without the belt, of tru- Without the belt his armor was incomplete. And in the same way, Paul starts there for us with the belt of truth being foundational for us. Our worldview and our understanding of everything we encounter is built off of the belt of truth for us. If we don't have it, things are shaky. There's nothing to to anchor into the same way there's nothing for the armor to anchor into. We're going to continue in worship, and Tim will share a little bit more about this belt.
0: Hey, I don't know if you remember the date or not, but June 24th, 1899. I'm sure a lot of you were around for that. June 24th, 1899. Probably never even heard about it in your history books or in your classes or anything like that. But it was a really interesting day. There were four reporters that are, were from different, uh, different newspapers. And they were hanging out in a specific location in Denver. And, and they, were, uh, they were waiting for something to happen. They were listening for some gossip. They were waiting for something they could report. Uh, You know, they needed some news for the day, and they got towards the end of the day, and each one had been sent out by their editor, and they had nothing. And so, as they were uh, talking and hanging out, they decided to go to uh, to the Oxford Hotel to commiserate their lack of gossip to report with uh, with uh, you know a few drinks at the hotel bar. And while they were there, they came up with this splendid idea that what are we going to tell our can't go back empty-handed? What are we going to tell our uh, our editors? And they said, oh, well, let's make up a story. We'll just write one ourselves. And they thought that was just terrific. And so uh, they did. Al Stevens was the, the reporter that kind of led the way on this thing. And they all, they all joined in. And they came up with a few guidelines they needed to have. It couldn't be a story that anybody could research. I guess that's a good guideline if you're going to tell a lie, right? And uh, so let's, let's make it in a, in a different country. And uh, and it just, it has to seem real, and it has to seem genuine. It has to seem like it could happen, but can't let anybody try to figure it out. So uh, and they swore to secrecy with one another all the days of their life, and they went ahead and they wrote a story about a gentleman who passed through Denver. He was an engineer, and he was on his way to China. No idea why he go through Denver to get to China, but that worked for their story. And now they're on their way to, he's on his way to China, and his sole purpose is to go bid on the tearing down of the, China, the Great Wall of China, that the United States and this particular corporation is bidding to tear the entire Great Wall of China down. Well, they had a problem. They're like, why in the world would China want to tear their wall down? So they had to come up with a solution to that. And they decided this. This is what they said. Uh, they were doing it as an act of international goodwill to, to signify a new openness to the world and invite new waves of foreign trade. Brilliant. So they did it. They wrote it all up. They took it to their editors, four newspapers at the time. The only one that didn't publish it was the Rocky Mountain News. And we don't know why they didn't publish it, but they were the only ones that didn't. And within the next few days, it started showing up in paper after paper after paper. All across the United States, different papers popped up and and, and retold the story. Uh, the only one that told it a little bit differently was the New York Times. And they actually said, why in the world would they hire an American company to tear down their wall if they really wanted to do it? So they were getting into the opposite side of the story and going, what's this story all about? And in a few days, the, you know, the story went away, and that was the end of it. You see, all sorts of false things out there, and they can really get ahead of us. And lies can be picked up as truth and just be told over and over and over again. So we get to this part in Ephesians 6 where we're talking about the truth. It stands in contrast to the father of lies that we've been talking about. It stands in contrast to the great deceiver. And Paul's saying, listen, it's the truth that is going to be the foundation for your life. That all, Everything's going to start right here. He's saying, hey... Remember, I've already told you who you are in Christ. I've already told you how how the great great thing that God did for us in Christ, how he saved us, he brought us into his family. I've told you all that. I've explained to you that this new life is going to bring unity between us and God and us and other believers. I've already told you. No, 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 no. I have insisted upon it that in this new life, you're going to live differently. You're going to live like a child of the king, and and, and it's going to bring about a, a different way of life. And then he gets to this finally part. Remember how much we focused on finally last week? Finally. I got to tell you something else. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle. I mean, you're going to get punched and socked and kicked and hit with everything that you could imagine. Because you see, there's this spiritual battle that's being waged in the heavenly realms, and the spiritual realms. And it's a battle between the deceiver, the liar, the, the, the one that is against God. It's a battle between them. Now, the knucklehead Satan doesn't realize he's already lost the battle. He doesn't realize that all of his lies have already been defeated with the truth. He doesn't realize that a lie can't stand against the truth. It is always, always dies. It doesn't, he doesn't get it. So he battles on and he wages on. And when he can't defeat the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God Almighty, he comes after his kids, he comes after us. And so the battle is being waged. And God, knowing that he has defeated everything through his son, Jesus Christ, he says, I have fully equipped you. You are more than conquerors if you are in Christ Jesus. The victory is already yours because I've already defeated it. And I have now clothed you ready for battle. You just got to put on the full armor that I'm giving you. You just got to put it on. So as we get to it, we get to this this place where it says stand firm then. Remember we talked about how many times that word stand was there? That word stand was in this short passage four different times. Stand firm was there a couple times. And it says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. I just want to draw your attention real quickly to that that phrase that happened a couple different times. It says, the full armor of God. We're going to do this passage a disservice. We are. We're going to stop and we're going to break down the, the little nuances of what these different pieces of armor kind of represent. Paul was just grabbing an everyday picture. Roman soldiers were everywhere. It was the third largest city of Ephesus. Roman soldiers were everywhere. And they were the most battle-ready group of, uh, of people in existence. They were the most trained warriors in the known world at the time. Their armor was second to none. So he just grabbed an image and he kind of broke it down. He goes, oh, let me help you with this. You know, you've seen the, the breastplates and you've seen the helmets. Well, the breastplate is like this and the helmet is like that. And, and the shoes, well, they're like this. And, and that's all he was doing. The main emphasis he was getting to is that it's superior to anything else. Remember how it starts out? He says, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. It's superior to anything else we can live with in this world. It's superior than anything else we can do for our own protection in this world. It's, it's significant. He's drawn attention to the, the greatness of the armor that's on the Roman soldiers and the greatness of how we've been equipped. But he's also drawn drew attention to the fullness put on the full armor of God. Listen, nobody, <laughs> there wasn't a Roman soldier walking around like, you know, half done. <laughs> I got a, got a half breastplate on. Don't really need this half. I mean, I mean, it wasn't there. It wasn't like they ran into battle going, hey, I got my shoes, but this helmet, sword, I don't know. I don't want it today. There was, a, there was a full armor that was put on, right? It was the full gear. Uh, you guys know I was a football coach, and I love football analogies, and so you got to put up with them every once in a while, and, you know, I'll try to Learn something about some other sport I don't know I can't think of a better one so I'll just stick with football and uh so but, but here's the thing as a coach I had to every year get my ninth graders ready oh, oh. I don't know what happens that freshman year they just lose their mind but I got to get them ready to play football right and so I got to get them and I, I teach them how to put these things on and I make sure it's fit just perfect I buy new small ones because they're so tiny I don't even know how to outfit them in gear and we do all this stuff right I said, okay, now, so the knee pad goes this way, and then thigh pad this way, and you got a little, you know, you got your hip pad, your butt pad, and your this pad, and that that all goes on. Now, do not, and I always always got, like, really, eh, with them, I'm like, do not walk onto the football field without being fully dressed. You got it? Yes, coach. No, no, I'm serious. If you forget something, you're running. Yes, coach. I'm like, all right. They all forgot something, right? They they come out half-dressed, one shoe off, this, that, something else. I'm like, what are you doing? And the craziest thing is all is inevitably every year the knee pad would be on the thigh. I'm like, how'd you do that? Like, does it even look like that thigh pad fits on your knee? Uh, I didn't remember what you said, coach. I'm like, yeah, the 40 other people putting their pads on, you could have asked them. Look, you can't come out only half padded. It doesn't work. You got to have the tail pad. You got to have it all, okay? All right. No joke. I promise. I wish this was an exaggeration, but it's not. It should be an exaggeration, but it's not. One kid was putting his helmet on backwards. I'm like, you got to be able to see through the hole, son. (laughs) The fullness. We've been fully equipped for the battle that's ahead of us, and so I will break it down. You need to understand. Nothing it works without the other one. It's all meant to be together. You're meant to be fully, fully protected by the victory that has already been won on your behalf. By the victory that the great king already fought on your behalf, you are clothed and protected. So let's look at this belt of truth, if you will. The imagery here is that it is the truth that holds all other virtues and makes them effective. So it's it's this idea of truth. Everything is your foundation. It's what every other piece of protection or weapon you're going to have is going to be based upon. It's the truth. If it's not based upon the truth, then what? It has to be based upon a lie. If everything in your life isn't based upon truth, then it's based upon a lie. Lies deteriorate. Lies are not strong. Lies destroy. So Paul's starting out going, listen, first and foremost, your enemy is the father of lies and the great deceiver. Your life is founded on truth. So let's start by being girded, literally girded up, ready for truth, ready to extinguish, ready to put out, ready to defend, ready to, to do whatever, to stand against the lies of the deceiver. Now the belt was also used, remember they wore, they wore tunics and longer robes, and so when it was time to go into battle, they would pull up the tunic, tuck it into their, to their belt, and then gird it all together. Tied in, cinched all up. Now everything's ready. Now, the soldier that had his belt cinched up was the one battle ready. The one who had his belt slacking was the one not ready for battle. That's how you can tell who was ready to go and who wasn't, is when their belt was cinched up. Think about our lives for a minute. Think about what Paul's getting at here for a quick second. Are we ready for the battle? Then your life has to be cinched up, shored up, founded on truth. Otherwise, you're going to get tossed around by every whim and philosophy and creative idea that's out there that opposes itself to God. Can't do it. we got to be shored up, geared up, girded up with the truth of God. We have to live in the truth and we have to live out the truth. The statement is more than just, hey, there's truth out there and you can battle the lie. It's that There will be truth that we have to attach ourselves, that we'll be able to understand what a lie is because we compare it to the truth. But then we have to be people who live out the truth. So what's the other part of our protection against the enemy's plan? To live a truthful life of integrity and character. Let's take a look at this a little deeper. What is truth? What is truth? The Greek word used here is aletheia. Aletheia. Listen to this. A message that conforms to reality or actuality. A message that conforms to reality or actuality. Whether historical or supernatural. Something that matches reality or that which is actual. Tell me if that definition of truth doesn't fly in the face of the definition of truth we live with today in our culture. Because truth is based upon what I feel. Truth is based upon my idea of justice or injustice. Truth is, is based upon what I want to see happen or what I don't. Truth is based upon whether I've been offended or haven't been offended. Truth is based upon what I want for my future or I don't want for my future. Truth. It's a sliding scale in today's culture. It's a sliding scale of what is truth and what isn't truth. And Scripture has no sliding scale whatsoever. It's saying that the word that was used there that they chose to use for truth was aletheia. And it's saying it is based on reality. Or actuality. It is based on that which is actual. John MacArthur put it this way. That it's a way of saying that thing of how things really are. That truth is how things really are. Reality is what it is because God declared it and made it so. Therefore, God is the author, the source, the determiner the governor, the arbiter, the ultimate standard, and the final judge of all truth. Remember? We believe that God was before all things. He created all things. He is the standard of truth. Anything that is actual is because he made it and brought it into actual being. So he is the only actual one that can make an actual truth, and the standard rests on him. He is true. One of the most profound questions ever asked in Scripture was asked by someone who didn't believe in the power of God or that Jesus Christ was God. It was asked by Pilate. The man who handed Jesus over to be crucified turned Jesus, uh, it turned to Jesus in the final hour and asked, what is truth? It was a rhetorical question, a cynical response to what Jesus had revealed. I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Jesus was the very embodiment of truth. He was God actually in our presence. He was the actual representation of God so that everything he said, everything he spoke was true. How do we know? We found no falsehood in him. We found no deceit in him. There was nothing that could be disproved about what he said. Everything about him. While he was God, and that should have been enough, he actually lived a life was tempted in every way. He lived here on earth, and there was no falsehood found in him. He was actually true. Jesus. Jesus was the truth because he was God, and in his life conformed to the truth. There was no fault found in him. He was the actual truth. He was Aletheia. He was the very physical representation of truth. It's in your notes. It'll be up on the screen. I just want to read Scripture to you. you. see, Scripture is truth because it's breathed of God, right? Scripture is truth because it's breathed of God. It said that Jesus was the incarnated Word, that the Word became flesh. So I want to read you what the Word, the truth of God The words of God that reveal the truth of who he is. I want to read you some of these verses. I hope you'll read along. Deuteronomy 34. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Numbers 23. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Malachi 3:6. I am the Lord. I the Lord do not change. So you the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. He's a promise keeper. Doesn't change. He kept his covenant. He's true. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's constant. He's consistent as truth should be. He's the anchor that we can trust and determine because he was actually truth. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. The truth will set you free. My prayer is not, as Jesus prayed, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. How are they going to be protected from the evil one? By truth. Now contrast that with his enemy. Here's what Jesus said about His enemy in John 8. You, talking to the Pharisees, belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar and a father of lies. In John 8, whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Those that are committed to the lie will stay committed to the lie. And not forever. God can intervene. The Holy Spirit can calm and change their life. And yet, those who are committed to the truth are to stay committed to the truth. It should make an impact, it should look different in their life. The truth should be our foundation. Pastor and theologian J.D. Greer wrote this. When God approached Moses, he declared, I am who I am. I am who I am is not I am whoever you want me to be. Can we imagine how offensive it must be for God when we attempt to reshape him according to our preferences? How would you like it if someone did that to you? My guess is you would be offended. We wouldn't like someone else doing that to us. Why do we think it's okay to do that with God? Do we think that our idea of God is better than who he actually is? Have we forgotten who we're talking about? You see, because God is truth and all truth is from him, we are made in his image. He's not made in our image. And one of the great lies of the deceiver, of the father of lies, is that God's character is really what we want God's character to be. That God should take the shape that we want Him to take. That God should do what we think He should do. That God should act the way we think He should act. God should give me what I think He should give me. God should intervene in my life in the manner in which I think He should intervene. We are made in His image, He is not made in ours. He tells us what is true based on His character, we don't tell Him what's true. Based on His knowledge, his all-knowing knowledge, his ever-present being, he tells us what is good and right and the best path. We don't tell him. The absurdity of it to try to make the I am like me. Pastor and author David Jeremiah wrote it this way. Counterfeit truth is never on more display than in the way we often hear people speak of God in today's culture. My God wants me to be rich. The God I believe in would never send anyone to hell. How dare your God claim to be the only way to heaven? My God, the loving God, would never allow somebody to go through that type of pain. It reminds us of a statement attributed to Voltaire. God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to return the favor ever since. God is not my God nor your God. He is simply God. He has never changed and he never will. It is God's desire to change us into his image, but we have neither the authority nor ability to change God into our image. As believers, we're called to overcome falsehood with truth. We weren't called to make up truth, but to submit to the truth that is found in God and to never waver from that truth. So what's this belt of truth? Our whole life is to be founded on truth, not lies. Where do we find truth? In God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, as he is revealed in the scriptures. Truth is ours. So if I use the term that Paul gave us, church, stand firm. We overcome the attacks of the enemy, the trouble of our lives in the dark moments when we know the truth. All right. So we know what truth is. What do we do with the truth? We measure, we weigh, we fact check our thoughts, choices, decisions, and activities. Do you remember? Do you remember those old scales, those balanced ones that, you know, hang like this? And over here, there's a, a standard, a weight that's always consistent, five pounds. It never changes, five pounds. And over here, you know, you put a bag of flour or a bag of something, and if you, you know, put two pounds in, the scale doesn't even. You put seven pounds in, the scale doesn't even. If you put five pounds in, the scale balances just perfect. Can you imagine if this standard always changed? Yesterday the standard was five pounds, but today it's six. The standard is, was this, but we're still going to measure out five pounds, and we're going to call it five pounds even though the standard changed. So all of a sudden you get five pounds, but because we said this is now six pounds, you actually got six pounds of flour, you'd be losing your mind. What are you talking about? I get upset when I go to the grocery store, and they take one of those, those plastic containers, you know, and start filling it with the food. I'm like, hey, how do I know that you're not charging me for that plastic container that weighs, you know, less than two ounces? I want to know. How do I know? Did you put the tear in there? I want to know. Right? Because it has to be based upon truth. We, we want what's true. We want what's right. We want what's coming to us. We want what's, we want what's accurate and certain. We want that. Huh. Then should we want that for our life? Should we want to weigh and balance our life by that which is true and not a bunch of lies? Not what somebody else created? Not what some culture decides is well, we want to go this way today and that way tomorrow. Wouldn't we want something that's the same yesterday, today, and always? The constant standard that we can depend on and trust? God's given it to us in Himself. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. It says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I when I went away. By the way, there, People were mocking him. People were sending accusations. People were saying deceitful things about him. And he was just acknowledging, yeah, 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 I know. He said, I'm not very bold when I'm front of you. I'm only bold when I write. Yeah, me, that guy, Paul. He says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of the world, making false accusations, going, you just live by the world's standards. Your godliness isn't enough. And he says this, the weapons we fight with, remember remember our battles in the spiritual realm, not against people? So he's not looking here to fight against people. He's saying, he's saying this. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Once we've measured and once we know, once we've decided which one of our thoughts, which one of our actions, what our ideas, where they didn't measure up with that which is true and right and godly and holy, Once we figure out what that is, what do we do? We destroy it. We kill it. We crush it. It There's no place in the victorious Christian life. If it doesn't align with God, we get rid of it. We don't manipulate it, massage it, keep it around, joke around with it, (laughs) stick it in our pocket, pull it out when we want it. We get rid of it because it's a lie. And lies destroy. Lies kill. Lies take Our relationship's away. We get rid of it. We do away with it. What are we going to do with this truth? So if we're going to weigh it and measure it, then we better study it. We better study it. We've got to know the truth inside and outside. We're We're going to study and we're going to research and we're going to mine the truth for everything we can get. Then we're going to use it to measure all of our thoughts and all of our activities. We're going to devote time to the pursuit of knowing the truth. Former Vietnam Green Beret pastor and author Stu Webbert asked the following question in his book, Spirit Warriors. And I would just pose this question to you. So if you don't like the way it's phrased, get mad at the Vietnam Green Beret, okay? Just saying. Are you involved in regular, rigorous regiment of Bible study? regular, rigorous regiment of Bible study. Are you studying the truth? Are you mining it? Are you researching it? Are you digging in? Is it regular? Is it rigorous? And he says this, if not, and here he comes. He just comes with all the boldness of a Special forces guy who understands a little bit about training. Comes with all the boldness of a man who follows Christ. Comes with all the boldness of a pastor who sat and watched lives destroyed in front of him. He just comes with all the boldness and he says this. If not, what in the world are you doing? Your mind, your most critical weapon in battle, is braced by doctrine. Your soul is strengthened by biblical knowledge. So so if we're not not weighing in and measuring and researching and studying the knowledge of the truth, if we're not gaining that knowledge, if we're not adding that knowledge, if we're not pulling it in and digging it up, what are we doing? What is it that we're going to weigh? All the thoughts, our actions, all the things we feel in our life, what are we going to weigh it against? Where are we getting this thing that we're calling truth from? It's coming from somewhere. What is sitting as our standard if it's not the truth of God? And so he says, what are you doing? You've been given the truth. God has revealed himself. Are you studying it? Are you getting into it? And then finally, it's not enough to know the living truth. We have to conform to the truth. We have to conform to the truth. This is the step that goes beyond study. It goes beyond measuring. It means that I step into that which is true. Remember, I demolish, I destroy that which holds itself up against the truth. Now I start to live this truthful life. I become the the man or woman of character that I'm supposed to be. I become the man or woman of integrity. When God says something is wrong, I do away with it. And so what do I do instead? I walk towards that which is right. I begin to live in the truth, not in the lie. And how do we constantly bring ourselves before the Lord to know this and to know what the truth is and what the lie, where we've been living? What's the best way for us to measure? We follow the example of David that he penned in Psalm 139. It says, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting David knew that sins, lies, and false understandings of God could destroy his his life, his relationships, and render him a lame duck with the responsibilities that God gave him. Do 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 you believe that? Do you believe that to live in the lies will render you a lame duck with the responsibilities that God has charged you with? You see, he's given you the truth to live by, and now he's saying, I need you to know the truth, and I need you to walk in the truth. I need you to be a person of truth. If you have your outline, you're following along, the rest is for you. I want you to go study the truth. I hope you'll take time and dig in. I hope you'll see how the passages I gave you will help you to measure that which is true and right, will help you to see and hear the lies for what they are, will help you to step into the truth and begin to live that way, and to reject the life that will lead to death and destruction. In our times of distress, here's what the lie sounds like. God is not there. He does not care. He cannot save. He is not strong enough. If he loved us, he wouldn't allow us to go through this. He would have already taken this pain from me. In our times of distress, those are the lies, and they come rampant, and they come fast, and they debilitate, and they take our focus off the Savior, and they they cause us to look in ourselves, and they they cause us to be self-focused instead of God-focused. Lies are vicious. And so I gave you a couple passages to look at. I pray that you will. There's so many more, but there's just a couple. Psalm 46 starts out this way. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's a good one. That defeats almost every lie I wrote down on that page, just that one verse. Times of desire, those sinful desires, those ones that creep up, those ones that seek to destroy, those ones that take us from righteousness, selfishness to pride, you know, those selfish desires that ruin relationships and people. Here's what the lie sounds like. I can't stop. I can't do it. I have to do it. My life will be better. I will finally be happy. I'm bored. This will finally make give me the spark I've always wanted. The situation will not get better. I should please myself. I deserve more from this life. You know, if I take a, a little here, cut this corner, cut that corner, you know, in the end, I'll, I'll give even more to God, said my friend, in truth, the accountant, who found himself for three years in prison, separated from the family and the church helping him instead of him giving more to the church. I, 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 I spoke to somebody recently, and this was just this was just typical of, of most conversations I have so many times but with people who are in this time of desire being tempted. I spoke to someone about their marriage, and they said, there is no fixing it. I can't do it anymore. They're not the one I want to be with. I'm not happy. God would not want any of us to be in an unhappy marriage. And so the lie goes, and my desires get stronger, and my family takes the hit. You know the lies when it comes to our desires. You know what they are. So I gave you one passage that I hope you'll just sit with and you'll unpack. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out that you can endure. Never do we have to say, I can't. Never do we have to say, I have to. Never do we say, I can't quit. We don't ever have to say it. We do say it. We fall so often. But literally, this passage is telling us there is hope. I hope you will mine the truth of Scripture and it will become your foundation. And finally, in times of doubt, the lie shows up like this. I'm not good enough. God can't love me. God can't use me. I don't see myself that way. I'm too weak and worthless. I'm not like that guy or that woman. I'm not. I can't. He wouldn't. What if I do it wrong? What if I mess up? What if I mess somebody else up? I can't teach. I can't share things about God. Who am I to offer advice or counsel? Who am I to call out another brother or sister? What if I'm hated, shunned? Will God really care for me? Will God truly keep his promises? Will God fix the mess I've made in my life? Will I ever be happy again? Doubt renders us crippled. Doubt keeps us from making decisions, from going forward, from risking relationships, from loving others. Doubt cripples us. And so I give you all sorts of truths that you can look into. It's up to you, church. You've been given the truth. The full armor of God God gave it to you. He revealed himself. It's not a mystery. He made it known. Just like that little ninth grader. Will you put it on? Will you refuse to take the battlefield unequipped and unarmed? Will you put it on? Will you live in the truth and reject the lies? I hope you will. We gave you these cards last week. If you didn't get them, I hope you'll grab them in the back on your way out. Hey, I just want them to be a blessing to you. That's all. There's just verses on here about you're already a conqueror. That, that through Christ, he's already given you the truth. The Truth is already won out. And it's just a reminder of who I am, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Man, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. These are just powerful verses, powerful truth to speak into our lives and then live out. I hope you'll take them if you don't have them. I hope you'll use them if you haven't used them this week. I hope they'll be a common part of your life. I hope you'll find them stuck all over your house. And if you need more, we'll just make more. If you need a thousand of them, make a thousand of them. I don't know. I'm done. You have the truth. Be girded. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your greatness, your mercy, your love. Thank you that you shower us with your truth. Thank you for never leaving us alone and the victory is already ours that we get to be more than conquerors. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your blessings. In your name we pray, amen. Church, have an amazing week. See you next week. If you need prayer, we'll be up here.